Well, in case you don't know, the church, universal, the church around the world through its history has a season every year that we recall. Most churches even engage in it specifically called Advent. It's considered the beginning of the church year. And each year we focus in different ways on the very coming of Jesus, what happened over 2,000 years ago. We're in the second week of this. We've called it the weary world rejoices because we're especially in a time of weariness. And just so you know, even beyond today, if you go to allshores.org slash advent, you will see resources there to help you engage in the whole month-long process of this. Several different things, and I wanted to remind you of that. But as we think about where we are in this season, I want you to just consider with me the different skills we have developed that we never thought would happen. I'm curious, and you don't have to raise hands, I'm not even asking this question, just think about it for a minute. How many masks do you own now? How many of us have bought masks to go with the very outfits we have? How many of us ever thought a mask would be part of our ensemble and we would care? How many of you have opinions on masks? Does it have something that clamps my nose down so that the air doesn't get into my glasses? Is it enough that I can breathe through it? Is it warm so when I'm outside I'm not cold? Blah, 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 blah. Who ever thought we'd be dealing with this? And we are. I wonder how many of us thought we would have skills or learn new opportunities. I'm curious how many of us do contact-free food drop-off. Everything from DoorDash to Grubhub to all sorts of local ones. And how many of you thought you'd be looking at an app waiting to see when your meal would arrive and then you're frustrated if the driver turns somewhere else or drops another one off? New kinds of frustration, things we never anticipated. Some of our older folks, how many even watching online is so difficult because we hate dealing with technology and know that just being together is more meaningful. And then I think of singles and how many have had to learn skills and just deal with loneliness. Boy, our introverts who think, I like to be alone, this is overkill. Just finding new ways to connect. And our young families, boy, what you even do right now while we're watching a service, thinking, my kids are going to listen to you go blah, 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 blah for 30 minutes? You've got to be kidding me. I love this. One of our families posted this last week, and it's a shot of them watching the service here low on the screen. And then you, you hopefully can see it. The kids have another iPad up over here, and they're engaged in our kids' ministry, which, by the way, is always online, and kids can observe it while we're doing it. And the mom literally wrote, thank you, Shore Kids team. Do you ever wonder what happened when Mallory and Amy were sitting around going, hey, you know what? Kids are not going to want to sit here and listen to Pete go blah, 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 blah. What do you think we can do? Hey, you know what? Here's an idea. I say we take the stuff we do on video and we tell the kids to watch it over here while the mom and dad does it. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. I mean, whoever thought we'd be dealing with it this way? But we are, and we love that we can As I was reflecting on this and thinking about this in particular and how we deal with it, I started thinking about children's ministry in general, and I went back and even started watching some of the videos that we put out for you, some of the teachings, and, you know, they begin with this time of worship, the kids get to engage, and it took me back because in my first job in ministry, I was leading kids' worship, and then I also was doing some other things with it, but then I was raising little kids, And I'll never forget, even as I was watching the videos, I was reminded how they do motions and get into it. And I remember how kids have no consciousness of what other people think, and they're free to act and live the way they do. It's amazing, isn't it? And I remember at times even doing this and thinking, as a dad, I'm not going to put on my arm. That is not cool. I'm not going to do this. It's awkward. 
Do you, do you ever think about that? Like, why would I do what the kids do? And some of you are probably thinking, show it when I'm not watching so I don't have to do what the kids do. But, but I want to tell you, one of the things that happens when we worship with our kids, which I want to encourage to young families, is when you live it out too, they actually kind of fuel you to be less kind of self-aware and less worried about what people think and be more free. It's a great thing. It changes you along the way. And by the way, you may not think this, but I bet your spouse will think, man, you are looking good making those moves. How are you doing? So there's some outside benefits to this too. But what I want you to picture in all of this is how when we're around kids, we're reminded of the freedom and kind of this incredible energetic optimism, this childlike wonder we had that we kind of slowly lost. In fact, right now, I want you to just consider whether it's in the room with people around you or putting it online, what kind of childlike wonder did you have that you let go of, that you kind of let die, that you got rid of as you got older? Just write that down. What were the things that you got excited about and then you became aware that others might not approve or you might look silly or they might not think and you dialed it back and thought, I need to be more restrained or more dignified. Now, I ask you that because as we're in this series, as we're in Advent, as particularly we're in the week to look at joy and how Jesus came to bring joy, I believe before we even get into the passage, before we even do anything with it, I want to give an invitation. And it's just to this. As we open the passage, as we look at the story, could you look at it with childlike wonder instead of adult skepticism and cynicism? Now, I'm not asking you to lay aside your questions or not ever have them, but I'm asking you to look with a new lens. I will say this about kids. We could say that they're childish or that they don't discern things. And there's some truth to those things at times, but childlike wonder is the fact that kids often see it as it is and are not dissuaded by skepticism. So what might it be for you and I to look at Jesus coming through the lens of childlike wonder? Now, where we're going to begin today with those eyes is at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. There's four accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each tells it from a little different perspective, but we get the picture, the ultimate picture, from individually and collectively. Now, in Luke's account, he begins with a story. He begins with the first kind of sighting or the first movement that tells us God is doing something right now. He tells us right at the beginning about a couple named Elizabeth and Zechariah. Now, Elizabeth and Zechariah are an older couple. She's been barren. She's felt disgrace from it and felt ostracized from it. Zechariah is a priest. And the way the story begins, it comes up to a time when it's his turn to go to the temple. And during the season of the temple, they will throw lots, cast lots. And when they do it, he's given the opportunity to go into a more sacred space where he does this ministry, where he ministers to the Lord, where he does activities, candle lighting, sacrifice offering, different things he does, offering prayers on his own. And when he goes in here, it tells us something mystical happens, something wonderful that you must have childlike wonder to even understand. It says an angel of the Lord visits him. And the angel tells him very simply, tells him, Zechariah, you're going to have a son. I know your wife is old. I know you don't think you're going to have a boy. And you're going to name him John, which, by the way, makes no sense because it's not a family name, although they don't say that. That's implied. 
Oh, and not only is he going to be a joy for you, but guess what? He's going to change the world. He's going to bring people back to the Lord. And they say, he says, in the spirit of Elijah. Now, you don't need to know all the history. It's simply this, that Elijah, this is this prophet from centuries before, that it's prophesied when Messiah comes, there will someone come in the spirit of Elijah in that same disposition and attitude to announce Messiah coming. So what the angels just told Zechariah is, hey, I know you've been weary your whole life. You're living in this Roman oppression. You're trying to live out faith. In fact, it even cites that God sees them as righteous people, people that are humbly and following him. And I want you to know God's heard and he's gonna do something in and through you. Now, Zechariah doesn't believe it. He's doubtful. And in the midst of all this doubt, the angel says, you're going to now not be able to speak. So he comes out unable to speak. Everybody knows that he's had some incredible encounter that he can't tell them about. When his time is done, he goes back to his wife. The story tells us that she soon after becomes pregnant. She even says, man, now my disgrace is over. And it says, for the next five months, they sat in seclusion. Now, it's not central to the story, but I read this part and I literally thought to myself, oh my goodness, that's how we're living all the time, isn't it? Like, that's us. We live in seclusion. So they're in this seclusion. They're in this place of hopelessness. And yet God gives them new life, something new, and even says, you're going to have joy and the world's going to have joy because of it. But it's pointing to something bigger. And we take it up there in Luke's account. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, this is after all I've told you has happened, they're now been alone and in isolation, God sends the angel Gabriel, which by the way, Gabriel is one of the highest ranking angels that we understand. It means God sent a major one there to Nazareth, to a town called Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. I love this. We've gone from this older couple that would never be able to have a child that's lived in deep oppression and struggle, being told not only they'll have one, but now Elizabeth is pregnant. And now we're moving over to another story. And this next story is about a woman named Mary. What happens then is the angel shows up and it tells Mary, you are highly favored. You are highly favored and the Lord is with you. This beautiful blessing he gives. And it says, Mary is troubled, literally agitated. She doesn't know what to do with this. And the angel immediately comes to her, don't be afraid. Man, you found favor with God. And the angel tells her, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him Jesus. He's going to be great. He's going to reign on David's throne. In case you don't know what that means, it means ultimately David, who was really the first true king. There was one before, but one that God picked of Israel. It was promised one day one would come that would reign on his throne and reign forever. And that's what it continues saying. He'll reign on his throne. He'll reign forever. And this kingdom will never end. And Mary wonderfully and innocently is, how can that even be? I'm a virgin. I couldn't have a child right now. Another place that there's no hope. How could this come through me when there's no pathway to this? And the angel then responds. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even, and then I love this promise afterwards, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. It's such a beautiful thing. The angel's giving her hope, but he's saying, hey, in case you're worried about it, just go check out Elizabeth. 
You know she's old. You know there's no way. So when you see the kid, you'll know. But I also want you to look at this with wonder. We tend to look at this with skepticism. Oh, how can a virgin be with child? This seems, I mean, we know scientifically this can't be. What if God actually can do this? We believe that Jesus became fully man and is fully God, that that's a mystical thing, that there's a wonder to it, that God can somehow enter into humanity. And what this wonderful angel is saying is, guess what, Mary? It's through you. I know you thought you had no purpose. I know you thought you had no plan. I know in the midst of this world that's messed up, that's been oppressed forever, that you have no way out of, just like your cousin doesn't, I'm going to put a new story through Jesus coming that you're going to be part of. I'm going to include you in this plan, and it's going to change everything. I love how she responds. She just says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. And the angel, it says, left her. Now, I want you just to consider it with childlike wonder. Luke begins his story in the Gospels, telling two stories of two women unable and significantly probably not likely to be part of changing the world. In case you don't know, especially in the ancient world, but really even until recently, (coughs) women had no place in the stories of heroes. Excuse me. And yet, Luke's gospel begins with an older woman who's been barren and ashamed, and a young woman who wouldn't be able or ready to have kids, and says, Guess what? God's going to enter through humble, lowly nobodies. What's beautiful is that God uses people like us, nobodies, in situations that we can't change the world, and says, Guess what? I am bringing my very presence to you to change the world. That's what he says to these two women in different ways. Now we continue in the story here. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to the town of the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. She has got to go see this and go be with Elizabeth. And by now, we understand that she actually is pregnant with Jesus, mystically, wonderfully, and supernaturally. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I want you to consider this with childlike wonder. That baby in her womb supernaturally understood the power of Jesus coming. And when that baby heard Mary's voice, knew the Son of God was in her, caused leaping, caused joy, caused excitement to jump inside. And both Mary, Elizabeth and that baby are filled with the Spirit. In fact, earlier, I didn't get into it, but when Zechariah gets the prophecy from this angel, the angel says, John will be filled with the Spirit even before he's born. This is when it happened. (laughs) Come on, this is amazing to me. I hope it is to you, these two women, people that would have no value and no prestige in the ancient world are the two that first discover the very coming of Jesus. We think of the announcement as being that when the shepherds heard it, when he's born in the manger and they come and the star, that's it. This is the first announcement. Two women living in oppression, no way to change the world The coming of Jesus says, guess what? What was dismal and weary is joyful because you can have joy because I'm bringing you in to be part of my plan. 
filled with the Holy Spirit by a way of foreshadowing of what will happen through Jesus' death and resurrection. He dies, forgives our sins, he rises and gives us his Holy Spirit to live in us the same way the very presence of Jesus is first nurtured in Mary. His very fullness of presence lives in you and me. And these people are jumping with joy for a new purpose they've discovered. Now what follows is Elizabeth says something that if you've grown up either in the Catholic tradition or in any liturgical tradition, you may have heard these words regularly stated. They're really kind of interesting words. Blessed are you among women, she says to Mary, and blessed is the child that you will bear or the fruit of your womb. In other words, Elizabeth is taken by who she's with and what she gets to see. And then she exclaims it again in how significant it is. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. I want you to understand something about joy. We think of joy, I think, often as the absence of difficulty, or joy as kind of this state of being that's calm, that balances thought and emotion, that, that kind of lives restrained but peacefully, content. But joy is a childlike wonder. When you were a kid, when something great happened, did you think, I better contain myself? I don't want to be too excited? now. I was thinking back on this this week. Uh, a couple of my grandkids uh, FaceTimed with my wife and I and asked us the question of stories about their parents, about the siblings growing up. And I immediately remembered uh, the, one of the early Christmases with, with their dad and, uh, that we had. And we got him a basketball hoop. And he loved basketball. It was back when uh, the early well, it wouldn't be the early days, but the days when the Pistons with Kelly Trapuca and a few others. And uh, he opened the hoop and all he could do was go, back ball, back ball, back ball, back ball. He was like, he was, I thought he was gonna hyperventilate. He was so excited. And he had this great enthusiasm and it wasn't just to have it, he would then play and he would even replay the things, Trapuca from the outside, Dumas. He had all these things he would say because he actually was excited and joy-filled. That's what we get in this picture. And sometimes I think because we look back on Jesus coming, because we live in the midst of this weary life, we miss the reality of his presence causes childlike wonder and should bring joy that leaps out of us. Do you know nothing changed in Elizabeth and Mary's circumstance of the world around them? They weren't suddenly held in high regard. They weren't brought to prestige. They didn't change the economic future of the world around them. Israel didn't suddenly become a powerhouse, but everything changed from the inside out because Jesus' very life, what would be his death and resurrection, would invite them to join and have a plan to be part of it. And the part they got to play brought them joy in other words, the coming of Jesus brings joy by letting you participate in this plan. They had new purpose. And it makes me wonder, even as I read this, do we realize that God is inviting us to new purpose? I think we've so diminished the role of Jesus. We've so lost the childlike wonder. The childlike wonder of who he is, we have lost 
and we miss out on the joy that he has for us. The childlike wonder we should have that, guess what? I'm, it's great that Elizabeth and Mary got to be this part. Do you know that Jesus' presence now resides in everyone who follows him? That God didn't say, let me help meet your things that you want in your life. That what he says is, I'm birthing something new in you, a new purpose and a new way to live. And that new life you will not control they both would give birth to John and ultimately to Jesus. And they would both live out a calling, but it would not be one they could control or dictate. It was one they followed and blessed. And the same way God's saying, you want joy. It will not be in the world going the way you think it should. It will be in you letting my presence live in you and taking the plan on I have for you to be part of changing this world and bringing a hope. But it's a hope that will cause people to leap for joy. I mean, that is powerful. I love how it's responded to. Blessed is she who's believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. That's what she finishes with Elizabeth. And Mary responds with what's called this beautiful psalm or song she sings. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And what follows is Mary's song of how God takes the humble and uses them to change the world, to bring hope and justice and life in the place of weariness and oppression and difficulty. And he takes those that are proud and lifted up and will have no part of them self-exalting. And she says, God, I can't believe I get to be part of this. You know, I wonder in the weariness of who we are that we've lost or not even heard the fact that like Elizabeth and Mary, you and I are invited into a whole new way of living by the coming, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, by the very filling of his spirit. It's simply this, you can have joy because Jesus has a plan for you. You're not set aside. It's not like these certain people are given great plans and you have no real purpose. Yours is mundane. No, no. God put his spirit in every follower of Jesus so every one of us could live a life that's joy-filled with a new plan and a new purpose. If you're weary, if you've lost joy, don't look and say, when this gets better. Look and say, what's Jesus birthing in my life? What's Jesus building in my life? What's Jesus beginning in my life? Paul says it this way, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. I just wonder if part of our joy struggle is that we've changed the purposes of God or we've hijacked them. We look at Jesus coming and we say, that'll help me when I die. We look at Jesus coming, we go, well, as long as my life goes well, or we've even misunderstood, well, Jesus coming is supposed to make my life easy. That's what joy is. It's not. I want to give you a couple of handles on this. And the first one's simply this. Childlike wonder is a conduit to his joy. And make no mistake, I'm not even just asking you to be childlike in the sense of going back. There is a wonder and an anticipation that helps us to see life joyfully. Some years ago, after Haiti had this series of earthquakes, just the devastation that ran all through it, we began to send some teams down there to help rebuild some schools and some different areas and churches. And I went down on several of the trips and uh, even spoke to some of the churches there. And I was really taken because it's devastating when you drive around the 
Many of the people live in tents. The hygiene was horrible. There were all sorts of sicknesses growing, and you will drive past huge graveyards for many that died in it. But when we came together, I watched a joy I couldn't explain in their circumstances. And I can only describe it as a childlike wonder. That somehow their circumstances dissipated. They weren't even asking, what do I get to do and what's going to go well in my life? They were so enamored with who Jesus is, so filled with him, that those other things just became nothing. And they could find joy in some of the smallest of things and even begin to find purpose in ways you and I forget. In the same way, I wonder if we've lost our childlike wonder. Uh, it's so stupid. Things come to mind, you know, when you, you think of these kind of images. And I go back to this dumb old movie called uh, Deeds, Mr. Deeds. And at the end of the movie, he's talking to all these people that are trying to make money. It's a meeting for all this stock and this business. And he literally asks each one, what did you want to be when you were a kid? And this childlike wonder begins to emerge through most of them. And it's silly there, but it's not silly here. You see, see, God has made you with childlike wonder. When Jesus says you must be like a child, he doesn't mean childish. He means you must have this wonder. You must look at life through a different lens than we do, this skeptical kind of dispensing of, this muddling down of excitement and enthusiasm for the sake of only reason and kind of a stoic objectified reason that misses the fact that if you are given passion and emotion, it's God himself who does it. And if kids have it and we repress it, it's meant to be, not meant to be whittled away. There's a wonderful picture of this in scripture. David, who's king at this time, the one that it cites that Jesus will come and be the ultimate, when he becomes king, the, the Ark of the Covenant, this place of God's very presence is stolen and Israel's going to get it back, and David's marching into town with it. He's so passionately joyful, and he begins to dance around, and his wife's looking out the window going, dude, that, the way you danced, I'm glad TikTok wasn't here now. This is just not a pretty thing to watch, and she's embarrassed by him, and I love what he says. Hey, I'll become more undignified than this because I can't contain the joy I have that God's presence is with us. Man, I don't know how long it will last that we can't sit in a room together, but guess what? That is a very small thing. And that does not keep you from the joy of his presence where you are. And I think of all the things we're caught up in fighting and arguing about from where we can go to where we can't go, from who's in office to who won't be in office, from who's wearing a mask to who isn't wearing a mask, from what's going on and what should be going on and what the school's deciding and who's doing that and what they wrote online. I mean, we're so busy being angry, we've just lost our childlike wonder. I'm telling you, the things we're angry about are small. When Jesus came, they were living in incredible Roman oppression. And the people he picked to first announce it were a woman who'd been barren and a woman who wasn't even ready to have kids and said, guess what? That's where I'm coming. You want to see joy? Watch these little... John the Baptist is the first one who shows the joy. He leaps. It's not like a regular move of a baby. Something different happens. Elizabeth goes, whoa, my kid gets this. There's joy. And I'm telling you, 
Jesus has a plan for you. And I think where we miss it is we've lost our childlike wonder to even find what that joy is in his plan for your life, or you've moved it to a plan you think he should have for everybody, and you're missing the surrender of what he has for you. I want to give you one more thought that I think is important for us, and is that joy is completed in community. I'm fearful if I just tell you this is for you, that's where you go. Elizabeth and Mary find great joy together with John and with Jesus in community. Jesus actually says on the night he's betrayed to his closest friends and followers, my joy will be in you and it will be complete. And you know that how he describes complete? Love each other as I have loved you. In other words, it's in community that the fullness of joy is realized. Martha, or Elizabeth doesn't just go and live her life and Mary doesn't just go and live hers. They live in community. John doesn't live his alone. He has followers and friends with him. Jesus lives in discipling times and reaching out to people. Everything of joy comes through community, not alone. So to me, to know God's plan for you will not be something alone. It will be something that fits together with all of us moving. It will be uniquely yours and collectively ours. Man, I know we're weary, but I'm telling you, you can have joy because Jesus has a plan for you. I want you to find and rediscover childlike wonder, and I want you to know it's completed in community. Now, I want to pray for us before we close our time, but before I do, I want to speak specifically to those of you who are maybe with us and not yet followers of Jesus. And I simply want to offer this to you. I am willing to bet that your life is not feeling complete or living complete on your own because I've never seen it with us on our own. And I want you to know that Jesus, what happened 2,000 years ago, Jesus coming and dying for our sins, Jesus rising from the dead, going to be back with the Father and then giving us his spirit is saying, I'm gonna now live through you and in you and you're to live a new way. I have a better plan for you than you could have on your own. And I simply wanna tell you this, if you want not only to be forgiven in the messiness of who you are and what you do, which we all have, but you want new purpose, the greatest joy is simply saying, I want to receive you, Jesus. So with that in mind, I want to pray for you who might want to respond and all of us who should respond and hopefully will respond collectively pursuing joy. Let's pray. Lord, I ask God, for each person watching now, for those that do not follow you, they would hear your very invitation. I want new purpose for you and it will be full of joy. God, I pray they would ask for forgiveness and they would follow you, whether that's right here or at home during the week, may they respond. And I pray for those of us who call you Lord and Savior. God, open our eyes to the childlike wonder that we would begin to see the joy you've set before us and the plan you have for us. And Lord, let us do that in community, not just alone. I pray this in your holy name, amen.